I think that the most valuable asset in the world is people. It's only money. It's only numbers. I've been poor. Like, I mean, and I'm 28. Bitcoin has outperformed every other asset this year by far. I bought myself my Porsche GT3 RS with crypto. She did teach me all the fundamental lessons. Number one is that I am a man and I need to provide for my family. If I would ever go to zero, like everything wiped out, I would start with social media. I'm wearing three lifetime savings of three families on just my wrist. I find that a lot of successful people that come on here that are the most happiest and most fulfilled in all areas of their life have a good woman behind them. The person next to you has the most influence over you. If you really don't love the man, you cannot be of any value to him. There are so many parallels between trading and life. I break down sometimes, you know, I even cry sometimes because even the strongest men cry sometimes because it can be hard. We all get into trading because we want a Lamborghini or we want to help our mother with mortgage. Whatever it is, it's always a financial reason. You're always one step away, one conversation, one person away, one client away from changing your life. First things first, guys, before we get started with this podcast, do me a solid favor and subscribe to this on whatever platform you're listening to it right now, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I'd appreciate if you just hit that subscribe button and it lets me know that the content that I'm putting out for you guys is hitting your ears at the right time. Much love. This podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com. So whether you're looking to remove any images, videos, search results, fake Instagram accounts, get in touch with us at contentremover.com. Welcome back to the Frankie D podcast and I'm coming to you live. This is why you should watch this on YouTube, by the way. I'm coming to you live from the Burj Al Arab with the man himself, Thomas Crowlow, who's a crypto hedge fund manager. And I'm telling you now, this podcast is going to drop a mad amount of wisdom in the crypto space, the mindset and his whole journey has been epic to this point, And I can't wait for you, my man, to drop it on here today. So welcome. <laughs> yes, Frankie, thank you very much. Very happy to be here. And thanks for coming by today. Mate, I, I know... I've never been in this place, but it's. I'm going to do a little bit of an apartment tour with your permission after this, yeah. because I want to show everyone who listens to this the kind of opulence and the way that you've crafted your lifestyle around around crypto and around trading. But before we go into obviously what you're doing now and everything like that, I think it's. I think we step it back because obviously you started growing up in Latvia, yeah. um, and your mum had the idea that she would send you to the, to the US. Yeah. So I think that's a good place for us to start in yeah. kind of her mindset on why she sent you to the US and everything that happened yeah. from there. You know, it's uh, initially, actually, she that's re- really the reason why she called me Thomas because uh, it's not a re- very European name. She expected me to actually live in the US. So from, from my birth, she expected me to live in the US. So when the time came, she saved up some money because uh, I grew up without a father at the age of two uh he was actually a good businessman but uh and it's it is what it is and i always you know admire my family and whatever happened happened so uh he actually got brainwashed by like some new generation church thing and gave everything to the church uh, including our business uh, and the house all cars in the 90s because our family wasn't poor actually but then uh it went from driving a mercedes from a mother to heating up baby food on a uh, on a candle, <laughs> so it was it was a big drastic change. And um, she knew that I will be living in the U.S. because she thought it is a much better place for anyone, to be honest, especially not Latvia. So and it still is not a very good place. So and she was saving up a lot of the money, 
to send me off and she did and that's how my adult life began of living alone in New York uh, once I turned 16. Was it was it hard for you growing up in like a single parent household not not really knowing your dad because did, did, did you have any male guiding figures? See uh, not really because I kind of got lucky because the whole situation and the whole thing took place when I was two years old so I wasn't really conscious at that time so i didn't really because some kids lose one of the parents or both parents god forbid at the age of when they actually are conscious when they understand what is happening you know and that's the most painful thing for me i kind of was used to growing up with my mother and grandmother so and my mother did her best to be both parents to me and father and the mother she didn't really do that very good of a job but i turned out okay so i'm very grateful to her I think one of the, one of the testimonies to your mum though is the fact that she worked she went and picked herself up from this she worked hard to yeah. be able to be able to even buy the ticket and to send you to the US and have the and have the foresight to understand that if she, if you're if you stay in Latvia there's only a certain level of yeah. of life that you're able to lead there for you yeah. so she 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 kind of she she was the forefront of your vision because you couldn't even see it then right No I, I she was the one who gave me the understanding of everything she unfortunately she wasn't a businesswoman so she couldn't understand like real big global business and money and how the financial markets work but she did teach me all the fundamental lessons number one is that i am a man and i need to provide for my family and i need i need to be the one who makes sure that there isn't going to be another one more miserable woman like my mother so that's why you know she kind of taught me to respect women to respect my role as a man in the family if that's the type of the family I want to have, and that once I have somebody in my family, that I am actually responsible for that person, uh, for those people. So, and from then, I just started building my own experiences and just confirming everything she taught me through life. But all the most complicated things that actually make people big money, I had to learn on my own. Yeah. Do you remember that first day of you landing in the U.S. and kind of what that felt like to you? It felt amazing, man. It felt like I'm finally allowed to drink beer, you know? but uh but uh yeah it was it was a bit scary but i was always uh an adventurous guy you know i am i believe in all these you know stars and uh, horoscopes because i'm a gemini and to be honest everything they say about gemini's and all these predictions and like so many things are so true about at least me and uh, so i i can have different mood throughout the day like 10 times the mood swings so, and I'm very adventurous and I'm always, you know, I'm always happy to do something new. So for me, moving to US and starting a new life, uh, it was amazing. Because I, I grew up on the movies like American Pie. You know? Really? So when I, when I knew that I'm going to US, the only thing I could think about was these cups, the blue and the red cups, you know, like in the movies where they have all these parties with all the beautiful girls and stuff. I mean, to my disappointment, the garage parties we used to have in New York were nowhere near the american pie so it was quite uh, damaging but uh, uh i guess it's like the reality versus expectations was very different that's a classic example of where you future pace your reality around something you believe is true and then when you get there it's not as true as the reality that you've lived in your head sixteen thousand yeah. times over yeah. Yeah. but what was the f- what was the first thing you understood when you got to the u.s probably at this point you're thinking to yourself well, I'm at, I'm at school, I'm at college, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But probably you're thinking to yourself, I want to make money now, right? Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, initially, when I came over, uh, my mother said that all I needed to do is study well, and just I was the first one to even try to get a higher education in my family because nobody ever. I studied my family's this tree thing, and I realized that everybody there was literally peasant level. I mean, not to insult anyone, but it actually was true. So we only had peasants, no lords in our family. So, and my mother started to get a higher education, but didn't finish because of the situation with my father. So, and uh, she thought that education is the key to life, to success, which it couldn't be further away from the truth, but this was the belief. And I went along with it because I didn't know any better, obviously. So I would listen to the only person I trusted, which was my, uh, that was my mother. So I went to college and uh, she told me that's all I had to worry about. But at some point we realized that it was far more expensive than we thought. So, and I had to find a way to somehow at least help with money. So, and uh, I started by uh, working in a library on campus and making about $600 a month. That's all that they, they gave me limited working hours. I couldn't work more than four hour shifts or something because of whatever, because uh, of the system, how system was, I think it's still the same. And I realized that it's just not the thing that is going to help anyone. So, uh, and this is when I started to look for alternatives. I started to look for ways and opportunities and what could I make my money from. And I've quickly discovered, because like how I, I, I used, until this day, I still use this method of deduction to solve any potential problem or issue or a task at hand. And that is, and that is by, for example, you always have to sit down and think, what are you good at? What is around you? What kind of people do you have? So and at that time, I didn't have any people, so I had to understand what am I good at. I always liked cars. So, and my first deal, I went to Craigslist, and uh, with the help of Kelly Blue Book website, where you can actually put in the VIN number and find the actual approximate value of a vehicle, uh, I found a car which was Mazda uh, Protégé 2001, dark green, fully rusted, with smoke coming out of its tailpipe. And the girl was selling it. It was a uh, town next to my town where I lived in upstate New York. So, and it was like a thousand bucks or so. And the book value on it was like $2,300 or 27. So it was selling already below the book value. So, and then when I looked at it, I kind of understood why, because it was all rusted and it's got smoke coming out of its tailpipe. So, and I didn't really want to buy it. And, but when I was leaving, the girl said, give me at least something for it. So I bought it for like five fifty, six hundred bucks. Uh, I spent two hundred dollars fixing it up. I changed the head gasket myself, which the gasket I bought at the local uh, store for like uh, thirty bucks, and uh, also uh, bought some spray paint to spray all the uh, rust. Basically, I spent a few hundred bucks. I fixed it up, and I was showing it only during the night so that the rust wasn't as obvious. And uh, I sold it for like. Um, close to like thousands so like I, I made a thousand more than a thousand bucks on it within a few days literally so and, it, and then I realized that in US people are happy to take a loss just to get rid of something quickly so the margin is actually there and that's how I learned about margin and it quickly um, escalated into me buying and selling iPhones into picking up furniture that was thrown out by people like dining sets and couches and cleaning them up. I had a um, yellow plumbing van 
uh, which was like I bought it for 1500 bucks that I would actually carry stuff around in and a small storage unit outside of Albany, New York, which is actually the capital of New York. And uh, I was making like five to eight thousand dollars a month at the age of eighteen. And basically, how it all continued, it all developed into a system that actually still, until today, works in U.S. That people are happy to part with a few hundred bucks just to get things done quickly. Like they don't want to bother to sell their dining set, which is like old. You can sell it maybe for hundred to two hundred bucks. They just throw it out. And I use these moments of people's laziness to capitalize on it. So I was able to make from five to $8,000 at the age of 19 years old. That's how I learned about money and margin. And I actually paid some of my college tuition myself. I took three. My wife is going to hate me about this if she uh, listens to the podcast. But I took out three Russian girls who came to my university on an exchange program from uh, MGU, from um, uh, Moscow's university. Uh, and I took them out to California. All on my, I paid for everything, and I was like eighteen, at eighteen years old. It was pretty crazy, and that's how I got the taste for some money, and I understood how money works. And it's, uh, it's interesting you said that because obviously, the margin that you now use in trading and your hedge fund and everything else that you've learned through that is something that everyone is, is a skill that everyone can learn right now because there's no excuse basically from what you just said there as to why people can't go and access another thousand or two thousand dollars a week on the side of their job even yeah just using the same method as what you you've used pick pick an asset i.e cars or whatever whatever asset that you know the best and you know arbitrage the value of the asset and sell you know buy, buy low essentially sell sell a bit higher make a few hundred dollars clip every time you yeah. learn that keep keep learning that and then keep going on that you know it's i can i this is what i say on social media on on instagram on youtube all the time that opportunities are there some people just somehow expect to make a you know to see a million dollar opportunity you got to start somewhere you know you have to have this belief system of big great things but you have to build that staircase strategy in your mind and you have to notice even the smallest opportunities because me if i would be so brainwashed to look only for these huge opportunities, I would miss all the small ones, which actually taught me a lot of things and which actually gave me a lot of experience in life to then later on when I saw a bigger opportunity to also take it. But I was ready for that bigger opportunity because a lot of people, maybe even those who are listening to this podcast, they are always, you know, they think, okay, they need to make that million dollars. But are are they ready for that million dollar opportunity? Like if, for example, 10 years ago, would somebody would come to me and say, Thomas, here, start a hedge fund. I mean, how would I start it? I mean, you haven't, you haven't lived the life to be able to go and step into that opportunity, yeah. have you? Like right now, I was able to start because I've managed money for myself. I know how money works. I know I have a lot of clients. I know people. So I have all these aspects coming together. So it's like, like this education process is never ending. It's ongoing at all times. Talk to me about this staircase staircase strategy to success that you that you spoke of there because yeah. uh, i presume there's a, a, a methodology within that that you can explain to this audience to, to kind of help them create their their own version of that staircase for them yeah. okay so there are two different types of staircases just to point it out uh, some people say that oh thomas but i work really hard you know working really hard doesn't really correlate with success 
I mean, people at McDonald's, they work hard, right? But it's got nothing to do with success. So uh, there is a corporate staircase, corporate ladder, which I don't believe in one bit. You know, it's like you're making somebody else rich. So the type of uh, staircase and type of ladder that I'm talking about is of your own making. So uh, if you're working in any business today or you're having a salary or you're not even doing anything at all, you need to look out for the opportunities to accumulate if not money, then something that, for example, if the best example I always give somebody, that the best thing that you can do to be able to even start building your own ladder uh, is accumulating people. So that is, for example, social media, Instagram. You have to be out there. Like a good friend of mine, Anar, Anar Dreams, maybe you know him on, uh, on TikTok, he went from zero followers to 20 million in one year. He did one million followers in the first four days. And how he did it, just belief. So, and now he's looking for the ways, and we're working on a few interesting projects, by the way, with him uh, to monetize it and to bring value to those followers. So, uh, in reality, he did it in a way that he started by accumulating people. Trust, name. So, it's like, today, it's so easy to do it. But so many people just don't do it. And when you've started, so your first step could be accumulating people. And when you've accumulated people on Instagram, if it's 100 people, 1,000 people, a million people, you already have an asset. I think that the most valuable asset in the world is people. It's not gold. It's not, I mean, even though it hurts me to say this, it's not even Bitcoin. It's people. Because people is, I think, that is something that cannot just disappear. And the trust and value and actual human energy and vibrations and your community, the most powerful fucking thing ever. Honestly, in my personal humble opinion, because like a lot of the things that I've sort of like, I can't right now with one, my 1.5 million follower across all the social media platforms, I can start any business and it will work. That's, that's the thing. And it doesn't cost any money to do it. I mean, it's organic. Most of my growth is organic. Most of it. I mean, we've spent a lot of money on ads. It contributed, but not that much. It's all about content. So a lot of people can do it. And this is, and then by this ladder, I'm just getting to the topic of the ladder to answer your question. So, and once you've built this foundation, then you start building the ladder. Then you can actually come out, you can start meeting people. It's going to be easier to meet people because you're becoming more popular, for example. You can speak with people, you can see what they do. And uh, you can even, if you don't understand what they do, you can ask them. And then you can do something similar. You can monetize your audience or maybe you can create a product, uh, which is going to be a lot easier to launch because you already have the most important aspect of any business, which is marketing. You have people. It's just uh, one example of a ladder, you know. So, And then the doors are going to start opening up one after the other after the other. Like me, I was a trader. And when I met my wife, she, she was a blogger. And she's like, Thomas, you know, you're sitting there for, I was a lot bigger. I was quite fat, actually. Uh, just to be honest. And, uh, you know, I was spending 12 hours a day at the screens. And she was like, and I wasn't the most happy person because it's it's, it's a stressful job. So when she said, uh, but I made my first few million this way, so I was happy with it. She said, do you understand that with this knowledge, you can do so much more? Uh, and she said, uh, you could even run your own fund. Why don't you take other people's money and stuff? And I said, I mean, who am I going to come to? I don't even have anybody around me. So that's why I kept working with my own money. But she said, Thomas, power of social media. So, and since then, I started it. And since then, so many companies got developed and so many things we've done. And when I launched my hedge fund, I mean, I had millions of dollars just flow into it because people knew me. That's it. It's trust. It's like, I mean, people want to invest into people, not into some 
comp. Of course, people invest into Goldman Sachs and stuff. That's a bit different. But people would be more inclined to invest into you if they know you. So this is like a small, simple example of what I would start with. Actually, today, frankly, I can tell you, if I would ever go to zero, like everything wiped out, except for my memory of what I did, I would start with social media. It's like accumulating people. And just teaching the skills that you're learning along the way to your audience and then building a product on the back of that attention that you're building and keep yeah. selling and sell on every level of the journey as well. Yeah, it's it's there are different ways of doing things. But yeah, one, it's, I mean, I'm like, at this point, I have so many products, so many services that it's like sometimes even I forget what the things I have in my link tree. But yeah, I mean, we actually, uh, we're able to serve any type of audience from any country in the world. And we adjusted it in a way that it's, we have somebody for people with a $10 budget to people with $10 million budget, Crawlo Capital. You know, it's, yeah. One of the interesting things that you said through that and the whole ladder of success thing was when you talked about your wife and how pivotal your wife's been oh, very, in this very, journey. Yeah. I find that a lot of successful people that come on here that are the most happiest, happiest and most fulfilled in all areas of their life have a good woman behind them. So like, what was your process in being able to facilitate having a relationship and the success without you thinking to, the, to yourself, oh, she's after my money or she's not going to add value to me? Like, how Talk to me around your process of, of selecting the right woman as a man in the pursuit of the, of the optimum goal. This is so important because actually, I can tell you a secret, one of my businesses I just lost, which is my uh, real estate business. I lost it because of my partner. Uh, he was stealing money unfortunately, from the company, from our agents. And it was just a, uh, I mean, you can make a movie out of it. And one of the reasons why, he was a good guy. But one day I can tell you, like, how important your partner is. Uh, One day something, and I even, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but uh, everything started with not him hating me. Everything started with his woman being against me. And it's like, and that day everything changed. We had an argument between me, him, and uh, my wife and his girlfriend. And it was kind of about that girlfriend. And since that day, everything changed. And she started programming him. And now it all uh, brought him to bankruptcy because he lost everything. So that's why the person next to you has the most influence over you. Of course, it depends on you as a person. But for me, uh, initially, I mean, I, I, I met a lot of girls. I had a lot of girlfriends before. And everybody was after my money, like everyone. And it was so sad that uh, when I met Sophia, my wife, of <laughs> three years now, and we've been together for six, I, I lost all hope, frankly. I was like, fuck, every girl out there is just for money. Like, I didn't believe in true love until I met her. And she got the worst treatment from me, probably, that she never even deserved it. But it just came because of my ex- previous experiences. So I wouldn't get her anything. I would. I still had some money, so I wouldn't buy her a car. I wouldn't buy her a watch. She actually had a job. So it was. I, I was. I was a prick, really. And she stayed for with me for like three years, and she was helping me, and she was supporting me, and she really loved me, you know. And I felt this real unconditional love, something that is just so rare, so beautiful, so precious that i would give up everything for it honestly money is all great it's comfort but i wouldn't be able to live without her you know she has this much meaning you know i mean seeing her smile and just being next to me this energy it's it's unexplainable 
people do a lot of you know a lot of people hate on me having this beautiful wife and they and they say oh one day she will go to some arab or something but people don't understand how deep we are and how far we go so and everything that she brought into my life a lot of the things actually are thanks to her somehow by accident you know and some, one day i understood that she's real and that's when i married her and today she has everything so but it's it's real and it's like i mean it's so important that this support like i mean I break down sometimes, you know, I even cry sometimes because even the, even the strongest men cry sometimes because it's, it's, it can be hard. So, and she has been such an incredible support beyond belief. I attribute a lot of my success to her, even, even physically, like some of the connections that I've made are thanks to her. It's interesting, like butterfly effect. It's like, I can go very deep into this, you know, it's because obviously she raises your energy. She makes you feel good. Yeah. She feels good because she, she's watching her man be successful, which in turn yeah. leads to her success. Yeah. And then because that energy is around, that attracts a different level of energy. So you meet yeah. other business people and stuff like that. You said there that there was a pivotal moment, a day when it changed. How, how as a man can you identify that pivotal moment in terms of like the day it changes between... Because obviously a lot of us have doubts as men. Like when we're surrounded, as you start to get more and more successful, it gets harder and harder and harder to identify who the fuck's on the bus with you and who's not on the bus, mm. essentially. Hopefully, hopefully not a bus, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what, was the, what was the pivotal point there that allowed you to change that mindset? What, what did she do specifically? Or was it just a matter of time? I think it was a combination of things. It's uh, because, as they say, you need to spend at least three years with the person to really know them, at least understand them. So because always, you know, the first year can be freaking amazing. You know, it's such a great connection and, you know, sex is great or whatever. But the real reality and whether you connect comes in like two, three years. You know, when you've had a lot of time together, when you actually see how she behaves through, through arguments and how she treats you in bad times, not just good times, and overall vibe. You know, it's like sometimes you meet people and you just don't like them. You know, it's like you don't click with them. So it's just people who are, it's not bad people, it's just different frequency. Something is off about them and it's fine. Everybody's different. So, and usually when you have this sexual thing go away and your mind actually starts to fucking work, this is when you actually start to analyze and usually when the girl is, especially especially when the girl is pretty and, you know, and the body is sexy and all this stuff, you know, it, you can be in this euphoria for quite some time. So you need to give yourself time to let it go and then see things for what they are and actually feel it if it's real. And then after, it was, for me, it took three years, you know. What would your advice be then to women listening to this podcast at this point who want to attract and be that high-value woman to that high-value man in her life? Yeah. It's the thing. The answer is very simple. If you really don't love the man, you cannot be of any value to him because it's it's fake. It cannot be fake. It has to be genuine. So the thing is that uh, when you come to a man who has some money and you're fake, uh, number one, no man. I don't. I haven't seen one single guy who is really dumb. You know, whom you can really go and cheat and take all his money or something. So I think it's a lot better to number one have genuine love for that individual. And number two, to be a genuine person who actually cares about scaling things together. If you're this kind of a team family player, it's going to just work. I don't know. Like, I know it's not probably a very deep answer, but it's just how it happened with me. You know, with, uh, my previous girlfriends, it was just so obvious. Like, first few weeks was always beautiful. 
But three months down the road, it was so obvious, even a child would see. Because I've been in a few relationships with some beautiful women in the past that I really knew there was red flags mm-hmm. that meant that it couldn't last a long period of time. And I knew that. Mm-hmm. But I fucking ignored them. Mm-hmm. Why do men do that? Because you enjoyed her present, right? I mean, while everything is kind of okay, you enjoyed it. You knew what's going to happen, but I mean, you enjoyed the the moment. That's okay. I mean, if if you really enjoyed it and that's what you wanted, because I mean, you didn't really do what you didn't want. We always do what we want, right? Well, in fact, both of those women taught me such valuable lessons about myself that I would not have been able to learn unless mm-hmm. I'd been through certain scenarios and certain things happening in my life yeah which has actually elevated me in a lot of areas so i believe that you have to have both you especially as a man on in the pursuit of whatever's meaningful to you in life and building something meaningful you have to be able to um have these learning lessons you have to be able to you know the 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 times where you've you've flown over three russians and gone to whatever festival you know they're they're stories that yeah, you know there's no longevity, but you've got a story now to tell yeah. the grandkids, you know, essentially. It's fine. I mean, it's a we, lesson. We, we also have to be honest and say that maybe there are guys out there who don't need a woman. You know, there are guys who are fine alone and they're fine hanging out with girls that are after just their money. They enjoy it. It's fine. Everybody's different. This is what I, one of the things I learned. You know, I used to give a lot of advice to people based on my understanding of life. And then I've learned that everybody is so fucking different that I should keep my mouth shut. You know, it's like everybody's happy with their life. Everybody is doing what they're meant to do. And everybody, there's this uh, song, you know, Sweet Dreams, like everybody, somebody, some of them want to get used, some of them want to use you, etc. It's like this in life. So I don't even, to be honest, not even give any advice to anyone. Yeah, I feel, I feel you on that. I feel you. Some people are so susceptible to manipulation that they're better single. Because like this partner of mine, he was a nice guy until he was manipulated by this pretty girl, you know. And then so for him, I would just suggest to stay single. <laughs> but but even but even in even in that scenario, that is his lesson. He needed to learn that lesson, and this lesson will allow him to evolve and grow on a different if, level as well. If one day he will realize it, for now he's blind. Maybe one day he'll realize. I think I think we all have these blind spots that we realize months or years down yeah. the track. I mean, even even like I've just mentioned about previous things that I've done, they weren't blind. I saw I saw red flags, but they were but I chose to keep them as blind spots until you don't. Until it's, you don't. You know, also about blinds it's it's got a lot to do with business as well. Uh, I've had business people, like business relationship with people before and I also saw red flags. But uh, I kept going. And this is like also a question, why? And you know, to be honest, the question, the answer is sometimes hope. You hope that you're wrong. Because, you know, for example, maybe that's in your case as well, like pretty girl and you kind of have a good relationship, but you have see red flags, but down there, your mind just shrugs it off because you hope that this is going to be your wife because she's just so pretty, you know, or whatever. So it's like in business, I had some people who screwed me over, including my partner in real estate. There were red flags for a while. I knew them. I mean, I kind of had a calculated risk, but I could have cut it short already before, to be honest. So, but I had this hope that maybe it will just turn out fine. And that's like, you know, also a business lesson. Whenever there is a red flag, fucking run. Do, do you, 
implement your trading strategy and the way that you hedge your trading strategy into all elements of business and life now? It's trading is the best. Like um, when I started trading professionally, I've learned more about myself than ever before. I there are, there are so many parallels between trading and life, and and business and human relationships and anything because like I mean to be honest like the whole trading it's it's all what it's the market moves because of human emotion like buying and selling like liquidity and uh, selling pressure or buying pressure it comes from where it comes from somebody trying to buy or sell things why do they buy or sell because they believe in something so they are actually there are emotions involved the whole market is all based on emotions like for example yesterday Gary Ginsler from SEC comes out and says something about some coin, whatever. Everybody gets scared, so it's fear, it's emotion. Everything dumps. So, uh, and but he but he had already placed a sell order on some other exchange before yeah. he went on the went on Fox News and perhaps said that. Oh, that that's yeah, that's, that's or, insider or, trading. Or, yeah. or, to, or, or told his friend to and split the money. This right. is actually, by the way, this is on topic of trading. This. This is what you just said. This is the only way to have a 100% accuracy rate in trading. It's insider trading. Is when you actually manipulate the market for your own gain. So, But it's like, yeah, you're playing with human emotion. And uh, market makers, that's what they do as well. And there is a lot of connection between everything, everything in life and trading. Because trading is it's one huge live brain of like almost like it's, it's almost human, the market. So there are so many correlations, it's crazy. As a young trader on the come up though, how did when, you, when you're learning, applying your trade and learning the psychology, learning the risk management percentage you're willing to operate from your account per trade, all this kind of stuff that you're learning, but you realize in one moment that you're going up against algorithm trading on some, some firms as well. How do, how do you, how, how have you got to the level that you've got to with, with, with everything stacked against you essentially? Yeah, it's, you have to level yourself. Uh, let me explain what this means. So this is this is more of mindset work because I can also tell you, like among, it's not even just about me. I'll, I look at people who work with me, the traders I know or my students, those who can be detached from money, so therefore remove the emotions to the best of their ability, those are the ones who succeed the most. Because as soon as you start caring about money, why is, like, for example, algorithms, some algorithms do good simply because they don't care, they don't have the human emotion. So you have to level yourself to this, to the level of no emotion. So basically, money for you becomes something irrelevant. And it's hard because we all get into trading because we want a Lamborghini, you know, or we want to help our mother with their, her mortgage or whatever it is, it's always a financial reason. I've never met a trader, a guy who like doesn't want anything. Everybody wants something. They, they need money for something. So whenever, for example, I always wanted a Rolls Royce. So whenever I had this deposit and there is, for, let's say, $100,000 in my deposit, I see it as a piece of Rolls Royce. It's like one-fourth of a Rolls Royce. So if I see I lose 5000 bucks, I didn't see this number just decrease numbers-wise. I saw... Uh, the wheels of that Rolls Royce rolling away, you know, so it's gone. So and it's this is this is you're letting these emotions pile up, and this is when you start getting into revenge, revenge trading, over trading, screwing up everything you're doing, ignoring rules, and in trading, even if you swing your performance by a few percent up or down, it can actually dictate whether you're profitable or you're losing. 
So it's like it's so sensitive. Trading is one of the most sensitive businesses out there. So the only way to survive this, be, besides having the right approach to trading itself technically or fundamentally, is you and your mind. Because when I just started, I actually lost almost my whole trading deposit in the beginning. So I had to just put my mind together and understand like I had about 4,000 bucks left. And I had to go back into it with high level of risk, but with the mentality, I lose it, I lose it. But not in a stupid way, in a smart way. So, and this is when I realized it works. And then I started to build the confidence. Maybe I got lucky in some way that all these factors came together. This is how I was able to program myself. So what are the rules that you set yourself up from the start to make sure that your mind can operate and, and, and do these trades in the, and execute in the right way? Okay, so one of the most important ones, again, it comes it stems, like there are a million technical ones, but most important psychological one is everybody who is into trading loves to calculate their net worth, like how much money do they have? And usually, if, even today, for example, if I would have half a million dollars with Bybit, if I'm putting like some crypto trades in, uh, this money, like I could be ca- calculating my watches as part of my net worth or my cars or whatever I, I own, except for the money in my trading deposit. It doesn't exist. So there is this half a million bucks, for example, it doesn't exist for me. Or like the money I've put into Kralo Capital or into Kralo Ventures, those that money does not exist. I've So far, I've invested in many, many projects at early stage. So we're waiting for them to come out and some interesting fundamental projects that should uh, help out there. But it's a different story. I don't even, I mean, I've put in hundreds of thousands of dollars into those projects. For that, for me, that money doesn't exist. I don't give a shit about it. It's like it's gone, it's somewhere. When it comes back and it's back into my bank account or it's in somewhere in Bitcoin. Or That's it, when it exists again. This is when it exists again. Because if you're going to be so attached to it, you're going to develop a panic disorder. You know, it's like you will always think about the, the only thing. You know, there are these traders who check the chart 50 times a day, even when they're on the beach. This is a recipe to have a heart attack. You know, so you have to detach yourself from money. This is the biggest rule. Whenever you feel attachment to money, stop trading. That's just my rule. Everybody's different. But this is just my suggestion. I think another thing that a lot of people would do well to detach themselves from is how they perceive where they should be in life. So for, so for argument's sake, you're using detachment there as a, tra- as a trading thing, but from a mindset method, if, pe- if more people detach themselves from where they think they should be in life, they'd be a lot happier in the present moment that they're in, right? Uh, this is a completely different topic. Uh, I can tell you, like, when I was younger and my mother programmed me that I must be making a lot of money as a man and supporting my family, I developed this desired, crazy desire craving of luxury cars, of watches, of all these luxury attributes of life, and to the extent that I thought that I would be happy only when I would have these things. And it's such a bad thing. And even since we were kids, you know, uh, you want a toy, and your mother says, no, well, maybe she cannot buy it for you, or maybe it's not your birthday yet. So you're programmed. And then when she gets it for you on your birthday, that's when you're happy. That's when you're, you know, running around and laughing on stuff, and you're happy. So, uh, and then again, you're waiting for something, again, sitting there waiting and not being happy. So, uh, we are programmed to be happy only when something happens. What we need to learn is that life is beautiful and that we always have to be in the constant state of gratitude, love, and absolute true happiness. We need to learn to have it regardless if you're sitting in a mega exclusive suite of a seven-star hotel and talking about millions of dollars, 
or we are just somewhere else and having a completely different life because everything in life is the same. You know, a lot of people make a huge mistake. They chase something that they think is going to make them happy. Well, they can be happy today. And trust me, when you get that luxury watch, I mean, I remember I bought myself the first golden watch. Man, I was so fucking happy. I thought I was for a week. And then I realized that I worked for many years to buy that damn thing, which made me happy for just seven days. That trade-off of many years for just seven days wasn't fair. Then I started to realize that all these things are nice, they're fun, but they aren't true happiness. The true happiness lives inside of you. So this is this is the mentality. And this once I actually realized this stuff as well, I became a better trader because it even distanced me away from money even more. You know what I mean? So the, the, this is like this deep stuff. I had a friend of mine who he's eternally happy. He's very rich, but he's like, he isn't rich because of money. He's happy because uh, he, yeah. So he isn't happy because of money. He's happy because of true happiness, which anybody can experience. And from that true happiness, more money keeps coming to him in abundant amounts, right? Yes. Because, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting example that uh, we, number one, we have to be happy always and we can be happy always. And when we are happy uh, and we are doing this from the, this kind of perspective and this kind of vibration, uh, somehow things happen easier. Like ha- I've noticed this in my life. When I care about some deal so much, it just falls through. Fuck, I don't know. It's like It's like magic. Like when you're sitting at something, when I just let go, like so many things, like I'm at the beach, I'm like, so many things are happening. Deals are happening and like people are coming and this is like everything is done almost without me. This is profound for me that we're having this conversation now. And I'll touch upon another conversation we had before the podcast as well. But this conversation that you've just had has been something that's dropped in for me in the last 30 days. And I'll tell you for why. And and many of the people that listen to this podcast that have followed it for a long time will know for about three, three years, Thomas, right? I was relentless in the pursuit of I want to be the best in the world in this niche. I'm fighting everyone else. Mm. Uh, and I felt, I, I suppose if I'm honest, I felt like, especially in podcasting and with conversations and with the, with what I knew I could do, I felt like I, I wanted it so much, you know, I wanted to be the best all year. And, and, and I just, I just felt probably about 30 days ago, I needed to have a word of myself and have a word of this ego because it's all ego. It comes from, course, it, yeah, it, it all stems from why, why do you actually need to prove yourself? What, who are you fucking proving yourself to? And what is it for? What is that internal fight about? Because if you can actually answer the true question in yourself about what that true fight and why you're trying to fucking prove this to whoever you're fucking trying to prove it to, mm-hmm. which a lot of people is the internal conversation that's happening. You kind of realize, holy fuck, like, this is fucking stupid because I'm just I'm just beating myself up constantly. Oh, I haven't got enough of this. I'm I'm growing enough on Apple. I'm growing enough Spotlight. Fuck me, bro. Just what what did you get in this for in the first place? Well, because I love having conversations with people like yourself, and I like to to to. This is what I want, this is what I fucking enjoy. So just in, enjoy it. Go back to enjoying every rep. Detach from the outcome, mm. and the rest of it will happen. Well, guess what happened? I did that thirty days ago. I've had the best fucking thirty days on all fucking platforms. Because I detached myself, I took I took away that fucking trying to fight the world yeah. and trying to swing my dick at the party every day, yeah. and just become I've become peaceful in the knowledge that I'm just going to be the best version of Frankie Lee and fuck everything else. Like I'm just trying my best. Exactly. It's like I always or I would always always compare myself to some. I stopped doing it. 
I stopped comparing myself to like whom I would want. Everybody's got a different life. Everybody's got a different butterfly effect. And the the whole thing that really life revolves around is like the main mission that you have in life. And I have two main missions. And for me, one of the most important things besides my missions is the true happy. Like if I'm happy today where I'm sitting, this is all that matters. Because what was yesterday doesn't exist anymore. Tomorrow might never come. It's it's not today either. It's it's somewhere. What matters is today. So if you're sitting, you're pissed and like what? what it makes no fucking sense. You know, you have to be happy now, because this is all that life is. You know, we are. It's gonna sound very cynical and weird, but we are bacteria on a piece of sand we call Earth, somewhere in the middle of fucking nowhere. But every single one of us thinks that he's he or she is so damn important. That every day has to be so serious. And people take the smallest shit so seriously that they break their lives, they break their brains, they break their hearts over nothing. When you can just sit there, chill, and be honestly, like I've learned how to provoke feeling of happiness. In Like sometimes people can provoke anger. You can think of something and become angry. I've learned how to think of something and provoke true feeling of happiness. And I became a happy man, really. Like, of course, I have a goal of getting to, you know, managing 100 billion. I, I want to, like, invest into biotech and longevity is my main focus. It's it's very interesting for me as my hobby. Also, want to build an interesting platform to uh, help people open up their spiritual uh, spirituality and mindset and change their, lim- remove their stupid limiting beliefs that they have since childhood. And, like, I have goals, I have missions. But my most precious thing is moment right now. Yeah, I, 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 I honestly, every part of that I agree with. And I want to touch on this interesting conversation that we had before mm-hmm. the podcast because I walked in here and obviously I see this level of opulence. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's stuff, It's the stuff that I'm seeing now is stuff that I've visioned for myself. Uh, and I know the world's abundant. So when I see someone like you living a life that I would love to be able one day to live myself at the level that you're living it at, it inspires the fuck out of me. And I said to you, when I came through the door, when we sat at the bar, just having a sparkling water, I said to you, was this your vision? And you said, not in your words to me, I think, were along the lines of, no, this wasn't my vision. But if it had been, I would have got it a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. So talk, talk, to, me in about, talk to me about that statement that you made at the bar right there. Yeah, well, uh, see, the thing is that I, I, I wasn't born to riches and I wasn't born to, uh, as I said, like money isn't the most important thing. What, what is most important is the knowledge. Like, take away everything from me today except for my knowledge and leave me with zero. I will find a way to make a million quick. Like, I mean, not in two days, but maybe a year or two, I'll become a millionaire again. So it's all about your knowledge. So it's like even finding money. Like, people say, oh, I don't have any capital. Jesus Christ. Find, when you have the right idea, finding the right people and some money, even some small money, maybe not millions of dollars, it's not that difficult, really. There is abundance of money in the world. So what for me, it's like the hardest thing I would say was to uh, find those threads to pull on to actually find that right information and to actually, you know, somehow believe that I could do it. Because when you're young and when you're from a family that isn't that very rich and, you know, you go somewhere your first time in New York and your eyes are like this, you know, you cannot really, I mean, it, it doesn't even cross your mind that you can own a penthouse in Manhattan. 
You know, it's it it does it's so beyond that it doesn't even it doesn't it's not like you don't you you don't even think of it. It's that far away. You know, so and when something is that far away in your brain, how can you even focus or see the opportunity that could potentially get you there? Your mind is just gonna block it. You're gonna say, "Oh no, no, no! It's not for me. It probably it's complicated or risky. I'm not gonna do it." You know, so, like so many people out there, they're like, "Oh no, it's it's for other people. It's for the rich. It's like they never think that they could also be rich. It's only money. It's only numbers. I've been poor." Like, I mean, and I'm 28. I'm not like 57 with diabetes and a few million in my account. I, I made good money fast. So it is, and when I did, I was like, holy fuck, I actually did it. You know, it's like, for me, I was like, damn. So, but the thing is, when I said that if I, if I would have had this belief, I'm pretty sure that there were, through this journey of 10 years, that I've, it's like from the age of 18, basically, when I was really conscious about making money, I'm pretty sure there were, up, and I even know of a few of them, of a few opportunities that were presented to me, but I was just too blind. And how? why did I not see them? Because I didn't see myself being someone, being that person who has taken that opportunity that has led him to being wealthy or whatever the goal is. So your mind and how you see yourself affects what you do and what kind of opportunities you take. It's It's just, that's why I said, you know, if I would have, if somebody would have told me, Thomas, you know, you can do anything, and like somebody who would have pro- like my mother programmed me in a very Soviet way. You have to go to university, you get a job. Uh, by the age of thirty-five, uh, maybe you make like hundred G's a month, oh, a year. Sorry, one well, not a month. See, I'm already used to saying a month, but a, a year. And then by the age of forty-five, you might as well get yourself a mortgage, uh, two and a half dogs, uh, one and a half children, just statistically. And you have a, a nice uh, loan for some uh, beater, some eco- economy car, and that's the that's the life. And f- for uh, for me, it was always amazing. Like for me, making ten thousand dollars a month was something crazy. I mean, it's a rich people, right? For me today, ten k I spend in a day. Like I mean, this suite plus this that helicopter ride. Yesterday I spent like twelve thousand dollars, like on random stuff. So would I ever believe like this kid in New York who was just with eyes like this that he's going to be living in or like staying at Burj and flying like helicopters and stuff? It doesn't, it wasn't even in my brain. You know, it's, it was somewhere in the movies. And then if I, and then I had to actually build up this confidence throughout 10 years and start taking really crazy opportunities. Like today, the opportunity, like some of the projects that if people want to follow me on Instagram, they will see in the coming months and years, the projects we're going to be announcing some crazy, even I'm sitting there thinking like, holy fuck, <laughs> this is like pretty interesting. So, uh, and, the, the, but I allow my mind to do it, you know, but, and I had to build this confidence. So if I had this, like, why do rich kids become successful? It's not just because of money. It's because they are fucking confident. Because they already are rich. Like, what is the difference between a nobody and a person? Like, this is going to be a deep thought. Like, this is what Anar always tells me. Like, Thomas, what is the difference between you and the billionaire? I'm like, well, obviously he has a billion. He's like, no. It is that he knows that he has a billion. And that's it. Like, and it's a deep thought. It's like people are saying, like, what the fuck is he even talking that's about? That's powerful if you if you just hear, hear what Thomas has just said there. Yeah. That's really powerful. Make sure you... Yeah. Say that again. I want you to say that again. Yeah. So what is the difference between Thomas and a billionaire? The billionaire knows that he has a billion. So, and this is like, and in, in the mindset. So when you know that you have a billion and you have this billionaire mentality, 
you will take that billion dollar opportunity and you will push it because you know that you already are a billionaire. So you have to live it to be it. You know, it's like borderline crazy. But this is like, you know, there is a reason why there is only like 3,000 billionaires in the world because you have to be a crazy motherfucker to actually take that crazy risk. Like even the story of Steve Jobs or Elon Musk and stuff. To be honest, it's not difficult to build a good company. It takes some time, but it takes courage. And the courage, the type of courage that you need only comes when you have real belief. And that's mindset. So it's, that's, that's all. So how has the spiritual, the spiritual piece clipped in and allowed you to elevate? Yeah, so this is the spirituality really. It's, uh, it's a big part of my life because I've done a bunch of, you know, spiritual practices and NLP, neurological programming and um, like mindset techniques like affirmations, meditations and what not, a bunch of stuff really. And what it does, it's no magic. It's what it does is a lot of these things are connected to money. So if I would do a meditation, I would do a money meditation. So the more of these things you do, the more you visualize um, yourself having things or doing things that you want, you kind of start to program your subconscious. that This is your reality. And when you become accustomed to it, you start to actually, th- you actually go to this level where it becomes your reality. You know, when you start, to, and it's again, and how it happens is then per- people start to perceive you like this because you start talking more about these things. People around you start to change. And then it's just all kind of because you program yourself into the world as how you want to be in it. It's like, I don't know if it makes sense what I'm saying right now, but again, it's like a bit deeper. I just sometimes suck at explaining these things because I'm not a mindset coach. But uh, it's, it's, it all connects together. Uh, and whatever you perceive in your brain, it starts to radiate out into the real world. But it's not by magic. It's by actual explainable things. And then... Uh, you just and these and then the biggest quantum leap happens when being in this state of abundance and the state of this deep undeniable belief in yourself you take the opportunity that actually takes you somewhere and this is really the difference between a person who just stays there and complains and the person who succeeds it's just one opportunity one day one conversation you're always one step away, one conversation, one person away, one client away from changing your life. It is undeniable. So, and how you take that client, how do you, you know, have that conversation? It's your mindset. Give you a simple example. How I met a person who is currently, we're going to be just changing, maybe even changing the world together because of the project. It's like some crazy shit. Nobody knows about it yet. So uh, how I met him was because of mindset, I don't know if it's coincidence, butterfly effect, whatever. I met him through a friend of mine who invited me to a party. I never go to parties. But that day I was doing huge meditational work. So I was really in this state of happiness and gratitude. And normally I would say, nah, to all these, I hate all these fucking parties. But I was invited. And because I was in this state, I actually said yes, which I usually say no. And in this party, I met this guy. And this like, so it's such a small thing. But it led to another thing. Another, another, So it's like one decision. And that one decision was affected by spiritual work. So I don't know if it's coincidence, maybe. Well, you changed your state, which allows you to change your brainwaves, which allows you to see this party this one day from a different yeah. perspective than what, yeah. you'd, what you'd normally see parties as. Yeah. Whereas you were so statistical in terms of the trading aspect that you were always seeing 
a party as a a, a way a, away from the trade and away yeah. from the strategy, right? Yeah. Well, that meditation that day took you out took you out of the strategy mindset yeah. and allowed you to go into your creative flow and you and then you step yeah. out of your comfort zone and and when you step out of your comfort zone, what happens? The world says, okay, you've stepped out of your comfort zone as a reward for that. Here's a conversation that's going to fucking blow your mind. Yeah. Here's a here's here's an opportunity that's going to do it. Yeah. See, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that will DM me, that will DM you, that will DM a lot of other people that they they perceive as successful to them from mm-hmm. the outside looking in, predicated on what they see on social media, but but have no context to their life. I'll just say that for a start. They see that and they'll they'll say, well, how can we get this form of success and this that and other? It's a simple case of like you've just got to fucking take the leap. Like sometimes I've found a lot of any form of success or momentum that I've had in my lifetime has all come from the fact of changing my fucking location for a start. Because not all, not all your opportunities or that you can unlock, even in the state that you're in right now, are in the current location that you're in. So if you're in Sydney in Australia and you think you're capped out in Sydney, Australia, mm-hmm. but you're wanting that next opportunity... Go fucking Singapore. Go Dubai. Go to Miami. Yeah. Go and act. Go. You've got the capital. Stop fucking moaning in Sydney and go and take it somewhere else and go and see a yeah. different perspective. Yeah. That's the that's what I find is is people's most fundamental issues. They 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 stay within the city. They stay within the realm that they're they're born scared into. of change. Yeah. Because the thing is, if you want to bring something new in, you need to let something old go. You know, you you cannot have it both ways. You know, you you cannot have. You know, if you want a new wife, you need to divorce the old one, right? So it's like the same thing with business, with new opportunities. I've found it so many times. Like when I would give up on something that I need, I know I need to let go. Like even sometimes I even do this as a practice. You know, I would I would go to my closet. I would pick up a bunch of shit that I don't wear anymore or some of the stuff that is old or whatever. Some of the stuff I would throw away, something I would donate, something that is just too good to throw away. And then whenever something that I would, this is called, this is a practice of releasing, you know, releasing old people, old energy, old physical, even some of the stuff, you know, there are people who always like to collect old rubbish for no reason. These are the people who always stagnate just psychologically. You need to be, you, you, you need to be able to just release. And when you're able to release, magic starts to happen. But it's no magic actually, because you all become open-minded. That's all. It's, it, again, it's mad that you've just said that because I was obviously I'm traveling the world at the minute with a couple of cases of podcast equipment and clothes. And I looked at some of the clothes that I've got in this case this morning when I was, when I was getting ready to come to this podcast, I was looking at it thinking, fuck, I've not worn all this on this trip. Like I need to, when I get back, I need to, you know, it's all good, it's good stuff. Give it away to someone else that, that needs it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. To allow, to go and get myself some new stuff or less stuff. You know, yeah. you don't, yeah. we all get attached to stuff, don't we? And and, and, and that's a big problem. And it's our it's our attachment to like it's, it's the attachment to the stuff that keeps us grounded in our current reality and doesn't allow us to elevate to our new reality that we want to live. Yeah. So if you, so, it's like when you said about when you bought your first gold watch. If you get attached to that gold watch being your ultimate thing, you live there. Now, in order to get the the, the next watch and the new watches and unlock those new things, you can't be too attached to that gold watch, right? Yeah. No, that's um, of course. I mean, that's why. Uh, recently I had a big watch collection. I sold most of my watches. I want something else. So like, uh, and some, that something else is going to come because all of my watches are sold. So I need to fill it in. So it's, again, it's not magic. It's just how it is. You know, when you, for example, simple example, you want uh, some other watch, you're not wearing these, but until you sell a bunch, like I, I sold, sold like eight watches. 
You know, it's like, I mean, it was getting a bit crazy, you know? So, and I wouldn't just go out and buy myself another, like, uh, $300,000 Richard Mille. It just was stupid. So, therefore, by letting something go, you open up the space and, for example, finances to do something else. It's just that simple. A lot of people think that, oh, mindset work, it's all some magic, something unexplainable. Partially, sometimes I feel like it, but really, after all, it's all explainable. Really. And it was probably a good time for you to release those watches because you probably profited massively on the transaction as well. Uh, some of the watches, I lost a bit of money. Some actually made some money. So I actually broke even on them. Okay. Which so is fine. What, when you're going to buy like a Richard Mill or something like that for 300K, what what is going through your mind? Because I've, I've, I've not bought bought at that level of opulence. So I'd, I, I want to just understand from your point of view what's going through your mind and... Like, you know, because obviously that, that to me is hard for me to conceptualize yeah, for because, me be, be, because I've not been there. So I want to understand it from your, yeah. from your conceptual point of view. You know, it's uh, a lot of people view watches as investments and like broken bags and stuff. I don't view these things as investments because I'm not really that big of an expert. I cannot consider myself a watch investor. So for me, when I go and buy something crazy, you know, it kind of actually it's dying down with time. You know, like the first watch, you just go nuts. And then, like, when I was buying this one, this at some point was a $100,000 AP. You know, I kind of was over the moon. But it was, like, it was short-lived. But then, for me still, because, you know, as they say, you can bring a friend out of a village, but you cannot bring the village out of your friend. So, the same thing for me, you know. I'm still deep down a peasant. So, and I admit to it. So, whenever I wear, like, even $100,000 watch, I understand, like, some of the neighborhood where we lived at some point in my childhood you can still buy three apartments with the worth of this watch. And there are people paying 20-year mortgages on one, just one of those apartments. So I understand that I'm wearing three lifetime savings of three families on just my wrist. So, and I'm grateful that I'm capable of having this experience. So this understanding and being in a moment and appreciating these details just lets me be more happy because I'm in the moment. And I understand like, holy fuck, Thomas. You're doing okay. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Really. Uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to get their heads rattled with this podcast. I, I just truly believe it. Obviously, with this hedge fund now, this is opening up to your to your next level of assault on in terms of financial gain and obviously opulence and everything. It's just it's just going, it's just taking you to your next level of of, of energy in the world. I, I believe. What? Why a hedge fund? Because you're making good money with everything else you're doing anyway. Why did you want to go into a hedge fund, which is a really highly... You've already been a trader, and you're still a trader. So so that's already a really highly stressed environment. I believe hedge fund is a a step above that. Because you're you're potentially managing other other people's vast amounts of capital plus your own. Yeah, uh, I can tell you. To be honest, it's less stressful than uh, retail. I think retail trading is more complicated than hedge fund management. Let me explain why. It's, it sounds a bit strange because it's like hedge fund is more money. It's like more responsibility. And it's true. But the strategies that, for example, were used by or still are used by retail traders are very different from what a hedge fund does. So as hedge fund, normally our job, like my target of my hedge fund is to, since it's a crypto hedge fund, our target is to outperform Bitcoin. So, and we're doing long-term investment. We are not using leverage. So we're because, again, the people, the investors, we have serious investors, so they look at the risk profile. Uh, no serious investor would ever invest into a hedge fund that trades futures, like, right? I mean, it, or Forex. It's, there are funds like this, but I don't know who invests into that shit because it's, it's very high risk. 
So our, I mean, and crypto is high risk enough, uh, high enough risk. So uh, our job really is to accumulate in the hedge fund is to accumulate the biggest cryptocurrencies with proper DCA strategies, with proper risk and money management, with proper care for third-party risk like exchanges. So we always store everything in hard wallets. So even if every exchange is going to go down, we theoretically will still uh, self-custody all the coins and stuff. So that's it. And we're using, so our only downside risk is Bitcoin at zero, right? So, or all the cryptocurrencies we believe in going to zero. So I, as a hedge fund, we're betting long-term. So our outlook isn't two days, five weeks, it's five years. So therefore, and this type of trading, frankly, for me, it's easy. Like, I mean, I wake up, I check the news, I check the market, I do a YouTube video, I understand what is happening. For me, it's easy. What is really hard, and then, again, when you're managing like 10, 20, 30 million, whatever, you just sit on assets and you just sell something, buy something, maybe once a week. You know, you're just, sometimes you sit on it, you do nothing for three months. That's fine. So, I mean, you can be on a beach. So, I understand now why you say it's more, why it's less stressful, because essentially you've widened your time frame, which allows it to be less stressful. Yeah. Yeah. So n- now, now I understand the concept because I because I was under under the belief before you discussed that of like it's more money. I I just have my belief attached to it because it's more money, it's more pressure. But it's but you actually even out the pressure just by lengthening the time yeah. frame that you're investing in. That's the thing. Like when you're an active trader and you're trying to make, for example, a million out of ten k, this shit is stressful. Because you're trying to predict the smallest market frequencies, you're trading like a degen with huge leverage, you get liquidated, and then you're one day you make money, the other one you lose money, because you're cornered like a dog, you know, and you, you need to make money and out of nothing. This is stressful. But when you manage 10 million, 100 million, a billion, you invest into some big as you do reports, you have, I have analysts that provide me data. Like, I mean, a lot of the work is done actually by other people. You know, it's like, how how and I was like, how hard can this be? Like even in the hedge funds, like I can tell you the truth. Most hedge funds on Wall Street, I have one of my advisors, one of my friends uh, that is helping me with one of my funds with the Crawl of Venture, which is a venture fund where we invest into early stage crypto projects. He's ex Goldman Sachs, you know. And I spoke to him for a long time. He's the guy who actually told me about how Goldman Sachs works. He's actually uh, it's like it's uh, probably I should mention his name, but he's an interesting individual. He was a whistleblower in uh, Goldman at some point in London. So anyway. Uh, and I learned that 95% of stuff that is happening in big hedge funds on Wall Street has got nothing to do with trading. It's operations, it's marketing, it's outreach, it's operate, like it's a bunch of shit, but not trading. People think that it's a hedge fund, oh, it's, it's a floor, it's a lot of people, like calls and screens. No. We sometimes, they like, look at Warren Buffett. The only reason why Berkshire Hathaway has been doing okay-ish is because of Apple stock. If it wasn't for Apple stock, they wouldn't be doing nearly as well as they're doing. So like... You only have to get one right move is what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah, so... And then you just stick to it. So like we are sticking to Bitcoin. I believe that Bitcoin is going to be at $1 million within the next 10 years. So... And that's why like today if I have accumulated 100 Bitcoin, is it really that complicated? The only thing that, you know, what you have to do is you have to take care of the investors. You have to make sure that certainly us being a hedge fund... And what makes it different from people just self-custodying their own coins is that, number one, we know how to DCA properly. We know how when to sell because we still want to exit at some point, right, to pay out our investors. And number two, uh, number three, we uh, actually know how to use a bit of hedging. 
So if we see that the market is going to the downside, we're going to hedge our risk. So that way we are able to outperform Bitcoin. So that's that's all. When you hedge risk, you're, I suppose in your portfolio, say 100% of your Bitcoin, do you have 20% that can be actively liquidated at any time? Because obviously you believe in the underlying asset, which is Bitcoin. Yeah. You're not going to sell your whole portfolio of Bitcoin, but you said that you sell portions of it on ups and downs to yeah. take to take profits to, to then roll back in at a lower cost right yeah sometimes we do that or sometimes we sit on some cash as well because we haven't deployed all of it because i still believe we like with the current banking crisis this kind of fear is start to fade away a bit because we're seeing every time a bank fails almost every time bitcoin goes up so like the distrust in the current outdated colonial financial system people are starting to value things that are actually scarce the only thing that is truly scarce is Bitcoin, really, to be honest. So, and a lot of people are starting to flee to it. So, I'm thinking, so I'm thinking that there is a chance of a really recession coming right now. I believe that the recession is around the corner, and really, uh, probably uh, even a very bad one. So, uh, S and P is going to crash. So, I'm not invested in any stocks. I think it's a bad idea. But, and I, I and I was a believer that Bitcoin probably will crash too. But what I didn't expect, and I changed my mind when I saw the banking system start to collapse. And I saw that Bitcoin was going up because of it. So now I, I'm questioning, you know, if S&P is going to crash, will Bitcoin crash as well or actually go up? This is a big question. So, And then and then if it did go up, it would actually break out of the pattern that is currently in of, yeah. of the... And it would actually disconnect itself from the stock market, wouldn't it? It already did disconnect. I mean, look at the performance of Bitcoin. Bitcoin has outperformed every other asset this year by far already. So and 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 right now we're actually we are in a very bad economic situation, especially for U.S. But we have to also understand that Bitcoin follows global liquidity, right? So if in U.S. Uh, they are taking the liquidity out of the market and Japan is injecting or and China is injecting, look, people are sitting after all the pandemic lockdowns in China, they're sitting at two point four, two point six trillion dollars of personal savings, and through Hong Kong they're going to be allowed to again access crypto institutionals and then retailers by extension. I mean, it's like a lot of liquidity coming to the market. So if you look at even FTSE, and you, a lot of the markets look like it's bear market is back. The only thing that is taking a crap right now is U.S. Well, and some of the countries that are taking a crap because of U.S. and the dollar, like Argentina, with current interest rates at 97%. I mean, holy shit. That's why Bitcoin is trading like at all-time high in Argentina. The premium on Bitcoin in Argentina is crazy. It's, it's mental, isn't it, that... that all these fiat currencies that we're currently experiencing, none of them are backed by absolutely anything. Zero. It's it's trash. It's garbage. So it's like, I mean, I, I'm sorry, but uh, the biggest scam out there is the dollar. It's like biggest scam. I mean, people are saying Bitcoin is scam. I mean, I have a lot of my money. A lot of if if Bitcoin would have gone to zero, I'd lose a lot because honestly, I don't hold. I mean, I have maybe like a million in dollars, so I do hold cash, but. Most of what I have is not in dollars. I don't trust fiat one bit. And I mean, look at history. Uh, in Spain in 15 or 1600s, uh, their currency was the global reserve currency and it survived the most. It was like 110 years. And Bitcoin and dollar right now is at like year 100 something or 90 something. So it's coming up. And this whole uh, cycle of reserve currency and how it dies and where its peak is, the dollar is at the last edge. So the dollar is going to be gone. Where do you see the world going after that? Oh, this is a very good question. You know, this is something I... It's it's hard for me to say it's going to be Bitcoin 
I think it's going to be a collection of things. Like, even, I mean, we're already seeing the dollarizing, right? China, the BRICS nations. We're seeing, uh, I mean, uh, China and uh, already uh, with Russia and so many, uh, and also Saudi Arabia and UAE distancing themselves from America. And so many countries are starting to use other currencies because they're seeing what the dollar is doing and they just cannot sustain this. So where are we going to go from here? Is Bitcoin going to have a big say in the future? I think so. But I don't think that Bitcoin is going to be the only answer. I think that maybe like BRICS nations or something, they're going to, maybe it's going to be one. I don't know in general is an answer. I don't know. But uh, I think that Bitcoin definitely and blockchain is going to play a huge role in it and Ethereum. With your with your obviously move over this way in the world, living in the Middle East now, what what did you see as the opportunity here for you? Safety, safety for me and my family, and my money. So is this is in my opinion the only place where it really is safe? We spent some time in Latvia. I lived in. I mean, go to San Francisco. Take a look at what it looks like. Look at. I mean, I love the United States. I lived there for many years. I adore New York. I I adore uh, L.A. I love I love that country. Let uh, I'll be absolutely honest. But when it comes to safety, if you're a well-known guy, it's not very comfortable. I mean, Europe. Try to would you ever let your wife walk around the streets of London at night? I mean, unless you hate her, then probably not. You know, it's like it's dangerous. It's for, I mean, you cannot wear a nice watch. You know, like I used to have a bunch of a collection of diamond watches and stuff. I would, I, when I go to Europe, I, I dress like a peasant because I don't want anybody to see that I have anything. I don't want to die on the street. I don't want somebody to stab me in the back. I mean, it's that bad, you know? So I want to be in a country where I can enjoy things that I want. I had a, I sold it now. I had a golden Rolls Royce Phantom and a golden G-Class. A lot of people knew me because of it. We would always go in a convoy. You know, just this this kind of shit you can only do in Dubai. And people will actually show you thumbs up. It's cool. They will take a picture with you. It's nice. It's positive. There's no hate towards it. No hate towards it. And the same thing, money. I mean, uh, try wiring a million euros in Europe from one account to another. The amount of sh- fucking paperwork you have to go through. Well, actually, I went to withdraw, I think, £10,000 from a UK bank. Yeah. And um, it's a fucking nightmare. Like, yeah. it, it, it's my own money. But yeah. I have to have an interview mm-hmm. now to be able to access capital. Yeah. At the, and, and that's at a small level, you know. So It's 10K, 10K man. Yeah, the 10K is, the, that's what she was saying to me. Like this 10K thing in Europe is a, is a, is a cutoff point where yeah. as soon as you start moving over 10K, they want to know what you're buying with it, where it's going, why you're taking it out. So that's, be, and, the truth, and the truth of the matter is, the reason they do that is because there's no money in the bank. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't want you taking money out of the bank. There's no yeah. money in them. It's, it's, see, that's the thing. Like, the system here is very different. I mean, there's like, even with real estate in Dubai, it's not that easy to get a mortgage and refinance and do all this stuff as they do in America. But that's why the economic system here is more solid than in, for example, the US. That's why right now all the banks are taking a ra- crap. Since 2021, they are allowed to hold 0% reserves. I mean, how are you? I mean, just you bring a million, they just give it to somebody else. Like, I mean, it doesn't exist. The money just doesn't exist. It's well, all so fake. Fractional Reserve Banking says that they take your million, they, they leverage it up 10x, and they send it back out, don't they? Yeah, it's pretty good. So that's, that's what Fractional Reserve Banking essentially is. Yeah. So they take your million, they use your million as the backed currency instead of the gold. Yeah. Your million's got no backing. And then yeah. and then they use your million to go and lend out 10. It's and, crazy. And charge you an interest on it. Yeah. And like it, it's, it's, it's like 
biblical fraud on a different level of scale. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. these people are what are, are the people that are governing you and telling you to save money and yeah. all this kind of... I appreciate as a human being, you need a certain amount of cash, which is your blood, which you can operate on in the world that you're in. Mm-hmm. But after that, you know, you've got to put your things in, in assets that either produce your income or, or that hold value and store value, like you've done with watches and Bitcoin and everything else. You know, I honestly, I, I would rather hold anything else, just not the uh, fiat currency. Really, I mean, I just studied, I mean, I, I used to not like Bitcoin. Like five years ago, I was like, oh, what is this? Until I actually studied it. I actually understood what it is and what it stands for and what kind of, how it works. And then I analyzed and I looked at the monetary policy of US more closely being a trader. I I had access to all that information. So I was gathering all this information bit by bit. And then I realized like how big of a scam it is. It's crazy. Like what they're doing with the debt ceiling is a business U.S. is bankrupt long ago. I mean, long ago, $31.5 trillion ago, it's bankrupt. So the U.S. dream no longer exists? The what? The U.S. dream doesn't no longer exist? Uh, the American dream? American dream, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, I think that it existed maybe in 70s and 60s or something. But right now, since the 90s and 2000s, I mean, I lived in the U.S. for many, many years, and I don't think it, it's, it's, it's very far away from it. Is it, do you think it's better now to live outside the U.S. and sell into that market? I think so. I mean, I definitely, like, Dubai for me is the best place on earth, literally. Like, even money-wise. and so, Like, even though it's a Muslim country, and a lot of people, you know, think that, oh, you know, it must be, you know, not very good for women. But, like, my wife, I have zero worries. Nobody would ever look at her even the wrong way because it's so strict about this stuff here. Yeah, I, th- I think the safety of women here is something that's... F- phenomenally good i also think that the 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 level of people you can network with the level the level of belief in their abilities and what they can achieve no if i if i if i tell you my vision in dubai like anybody you or jeff downstairs my vision he doesn't shoot down my vision he says all right that yeah you you can do that this is is dubai anything can be done look at even the posters on the streets sometimes you know like the uh, the His Highness Sheikh, the, he was also uh, very popular for saying that impossible is possible. You know, uh, look at the advertisements and like they're, they almost look like affirmations. Like they're saying, live your most beautiful life. There was one outside the mall yesterday and it was all about like, he'd, he'd done it all down the street leading up to leading up to the Burj, Burj and it's literally like, find your happy place, then another affirmation, then another affirmation. And this is in a nicely lit street as you're walking to mm-hmm. an, a, a mall that's more opulent than any mall that you'll ever see in the whole entire yeah. world that you live in. Yeah. yeah. And then when you're in Europe, what do you see? You see fast credit, 0% interest loan on the clothes. Shop, shutting down, closing down sale. Yeah. It's like foreclosure. You know, whatever. You know, it's like you get depressed, you know, I go in Europe, uh, I go to some store and I, I see somebody shopping for shoes and there is this board which says 0% interest credit on shoes. And I was like, where am I? Is this, what is this place? This is why none of these shops here like have anything like Afterpay or anything. I've not seen like Afterpay, is it pay? It's, like, it's ridiculous. I mean, you, yeah, so it's like, it's a completely different mindset, mentality, energy. Like you come here, you feel money, you feel happiness, you feel safe. I mean, in Europe, I started to feel really not safe and not secure and like even mindset-wise. You go to Europe, you look at all these people, look, 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 look this. You know, and here, every, everything is for people. 
you know, you order food and everybody's always happy and like smiling and saying hello and everything is made for the people. Like even money-wise, there are a few banks that were a bit tough on me because of crypto stuff, but now I found good banking. No questions. You know, it's like when you do it in the right way and when you want to buy something with crypto, I mean, I bought myself my Porsche GT3 RS with crypto. No problem. I've been buying watches, crazy watches with crypto. And then when I sell, sell that watch... I ask the person to give me a bill of sale if I want to, if I, for example, if I uh, uh, take cash, then I put that cash into the bank, no questions. So, like, I mean, I've sold, uh, like, a lot of stuff like this. So, like, no questions at all. So, and, it, and there shouldn't be any questions. I mean, you bring in half a million dollars to the bank, like, what's half a million dollars? It's like, yeah, I sold my watch. Uh, where do you have a bill of sale? Yes, I know. Okay. Like, try doing yeah. this in Europe. You go yeah. to fucking prison, man. <laughs> yeah, to, to, you, you can't you can't just go around you can't you can't walk into a bank with that much cash you, without getting arrested probably <laughs> yeah, yeah. or getting robbed you are getting robbed on the way into the bank or arrested on the way out of the but, bank. and then you ask yourself what is half a million i mean honestly like i don't consider half a million even today with all of the inflation like it's a lot of money i mean it is money but i, I consider like 100 million okay that's that's money like that's serious money so how do if you cannot even move 10k or like half a million how do you move 100 mil i mean it's like it's people, you're not in control anymore. That's it. The bank controls you. The government controls you. So you're rich and almighty and powerful with 100 million in your account. No. Here you are. In Europe, you're not. You're a prisoner. So they can hold it for whatever reason. Well, one of the, one I was, I was thinking about with, with everything that I'm doing with this podcast, I ask a few, there's a couple of closing questions I have mm-hmm. for guests on here that, that kind of, that, you know where we talk about the visions and stuff like that, but there's but the one question I want to add to you today that I've never I've never asked before on a podcast. But if there's one question today that I could have asked you, where you could have given wisdom to this whole audience, what would that what would that question and answer be? This is again, it it, it always changes for everyone, even including myself. Like you know, there is nothing in life that is static; everything changes every moment, and. I would probably, the, the question would be how to find that real happiness. Maybe that's, that's, that's the question. We kind of spoke about it. And, and your answer to that is? And then that answer to me, uh, yeah, that answer would be that you don't need to find it. You actually, everybody actually has it inside. It's just an emotion. And it's like everybody is capable of Actually, it takes some practice and you need to actually bring it out of yourself and you actually sometimes have to force yourself to experience happiness, but you must learn to be able to provoke it with no condition, unconditionally. If you can do that, you will live happily ever after. I love that. I love, I'm glad I asked that now because I, I, feel, I feel that's just brought out something that's really powerful because you're talking about provoking an inner inner energy that is already inherent within every human being that listens to this podcast when you provoke that you can create the external environment that you wish to have essentially because you've created that from within yourself and it's already within you today right now when you listen to this podcast so i'm glad i asked that i'm I'm a a last my last thing for you today and this has been a phenomenal phenomenal experience sitting down with you and just and just hearing you break down your your visions and 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 your epiphanies and just your whole journey and every, and all the there's so much value in this you should watch this twice and listen to this twice but if there's if you if you had to check out the world tomorrow 
You can't take your beautiful wife, your cars, your watches, your opulence, but you could just leave this one pearl of inherent wisdom that will move everybody in this audience that 1% further today that they can implement today. What would it be? Our mission should be to work on our collective ability to stay united and work on everything that we just spoke about today in a united way. Because there are so many forces out there that want to divide us as people, as families. There was like even uh, slavery itself. Slavery still exists. You know, it used to be that you would get, you know, uh, as the this top G guy used to say, you know, they used to give you food and shelter. Right now they just give you paper, which is valueless, which you use to buy yourself food and shelter. So slavery is still real. And people are very divided. There is different classes, different everything. So everybody looks either up or down. So, and this creates social inequalities, hatred, wars, etc. So, and it's just our human nature to an extent. But I, what I would want to leave behind is the reason why I'm working on things like longevity and this platform that we're going to be developing is because I want to bring people together and finally show them that we can be at peace, in peace together within us. Because if we can actually reach internal, real, uh, unconditional happiness, a lot of the things would change in the world. If people would get accustomed to finding happiness inside, not outside. If you think about it, so many people uh, even start wars because they want something. But that desire is always external. It's rarely internal. So if they would be truly happy and being able to have the uh, feeling of happiness and gratitude and real love, uh, they wouldn't even start the wars. So what I would try uh, to answer your question uh, in a more uh, swift and quick fashion, I would say that I would try to tell people and uh, leave my mark in a way that uh, people can become more united and fight um, the things and the forces that are there to uh, design to actually distract people from reality. And the reality is that real happiness and purpose of life is on the surface, which is happiness, which again, going back to the same thing, is within us, which would make the world in general a much more happy, a much happier place. So, yeah. I love it. I love it. And I think, guys, if this podcast hasn't rattled your ears on every level of the game, I don't know what else I can do for you. I really don't. I, I've, I'm going to listen to that three times myself because I think Thomas and the way he's broke down everything today, and I think a lot of a lot of people ask me, and, and I know I know your PA asked me before the podcast, um, do I have a list of questions? And I said to you before we started this conversation, Thomas, about I don't I don't I've never rehearsed a question in my life because I believe whatever's meant to come out is meant to come out, yeah. and this podcast is testimony to that so do me a favor guys like and subscribe on youtube and even if you listen to this on apple and spotify go to my youtube channel because the more youtube subscribers youtube powers everything so go and subscribe on youtube even if you don't watch it on there it just helps me out uh, and drop drop a drop a, um, a like on spotify drop a review and a like on apple it really helps everything share this with your friends i appreciate everyone of you tuning in and listening to this conversation and i genuinely hope this adds a mad amount of value to your life. That's Thomas, 
and much love. Guys, do me a solid favor. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.